Now, the Baptist church that I grew up in uh, went through a building program probably 40 odd years ago and it was at a stage when I was a very new member of the church and so was introduced to the dynamics of church meetings for the first time and back in those days church meetings were a place of you might say some argy-bargy. There was always at least one person and, and normally he had a number of friends who would always want to move amendments to motions or point of order Mr Chairman. It was rather an interesting experience as a young person going in to see the dynamics of a church making decisions and I'd have to say looking back some of those dynamics I think were a little ungodly. Nevertheless during this particular stage of the church's life going through this building program pretty well every decision that they made about the building had to come back to a church meeting which meant that we had to wade our way through all sorts of decisions and one in particular I remember was a decision about the colour of the pews. Now, you might be shaking your head thinking, what on earth was going on in that space? But let me tell you, I remember that meeting. It was a meeting of considerable angst as the congregation of however many people it was tried to make a decision about what colour the pews should be. And I clearly remember in the end, the motion was uh, that the colour of the pews should be brick, which was a nice ready bricky kind of colour. Um, I don't know why that decision wasn't delegated to a, a body responsible that could have made that decision. And in fact, I sat there thinking at the time, if I ever became a pastor, note to self, it would never happen that we would have an argument in the church over the colour of the pews. It was an interesting observation of conflict. And conflict's inevitable. Conflict is an inevitable part of life. For example, in wintertime, which thankfully we are past, there is conflict every morning. There's this conflict between I'm warm in bed and if I get out of bed, I'm going to be cold. For me, there's conflict in summer as well. Conflict in that um, part of me uh, thinks, yes, I need to get up and breakfast and go to work. But another part of me says, why don't you just jump on your bike and go and ride through the hills for the day during this beautiful weather, particularly at this time of the year. We will experience conflict in our relationships, in our workplaces, uh, even in our church. And I want to say to you that conflict doesn't necessarily have to be understood as a negative experience. In fact, if it's handled in the right way, conflict can be an opportunity for significant growth and maturity if it is indeed handled in the right way. And today I want to talk with you about conflict for a couple of reasons. Not as I said earlier, because I think we have a problem that we have to sort out here at Wodonga Baptist, but because we read of conflict in this passage here in Acts chapter 15, which says to us it's a reality that we need to be aware of and need to understand. And it was a conflict between Paul and Barnabas, both of whom were godly men, both of whom were seeking to advance the work of the kingdom, both of whom were wanting to do the right thing and yet they came into conflict. And second, because uh, we need to know how to deal with conflict when we run into it in the church, when there's conflict amongst us, even in the midst of our kingdom work, the work that we do in, in, uh, in joining God in growing his kingdom. So let's just have a look for a few moments at this particular passage as a case study in conflict and then I want to take some time just to throw at you 10 
principles or 10 kind of guiding statements around dealing with conflict in the church. This disagreement, as I said earlier, uh, came about after a very significant disagreement had been sorted out. The disagreement of Acts chapter 15 was over what is the core of the gospel? Is it Christ alone or is it Jesus plus the law? And Paul and Barnabas, after that disagreement had been sorted out, decided to go back to visit a number of the churches that they'd preached at to see how they were going. It was going to be a kind of a follow-up pastoral visit, if you like. And we're told in Acts chapter 15, verse 37, that Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them, but there was a dispute that arose between Barnabas and Paul about whether John Mark should go with them because John Mark had been with them earlier and for reasons that we don't fully understand, he had deserted them. In fact, back in Acts chapter 13, verse 13, we're told that John Mark left them at Pamphylia and returned to Jerusalem. We're not told why, but the language of the text is he deserted them. He didn't just look at his watch and say, hey, I've got to be home for tea or uh, my contract has expired. Uh, There wasn't any kind of legitimacy, if you like, around that moment. It was a desertion. He left and clearly Paul was unimpressed by that. Barnabas, as the encourager, looked now to the opportunity to give John Mark a second chance. Barnabas was actually John Mark's cousin and so perhaps there's some family dynamic at work here too. But he came into sharp disagreement with Paul over this issue. Now some people have actually wondered whether there was some tension between Barnabas and Paul still over the fact that Barnabas along with Peter and perhaps John Mark, we don't know, had been taken in by the Judaizers, that's those who came down from Jerusalem and who were teaching Jesus plus the law and so perhaps there's some tension going on there, we don't know, we were only speculating to suggest that as a possibility. That's not actually stated in the text. What we do know though is that this was a very personal conflict. It's not a theological conflict, it's a personal and interpersonal conflict. And I think it's important for us to say that. It's important for us to name that because sometimes as Christians we are actually really poor at dealing with conflict in the church uh, because we think we shouldn't have any, right? Here we are all redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We've been made new in Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. Therefore, I should get on with everyone. And so when conflict does happen, we tend to try and ignore it or pretend that it's not there, either in the church or in our small groups or even in our marriages sometimes. And in fact, there's some research that's been done that would suggest that Christians evangelical Christians, even Bible-believing Christians, uh, are not much better at resolving conflict than your average person who has no connection uh, with Christianity at all. In fact, the statistics around divorce are indicative of that fact. And why is this? Well, I think it's because we've tended to adopt this silly idea that because I'm a Christian, I shouldn't have conflict. And I think it's also because we haven't actually learned enough about how to resolve conflict when it does happen. Now, I may be simplifying the case too much. I might be putting too much emphasis on that. 
But this passage does say to us that conflict will be a reality. And even great leaders of the church like Paul and Barnabas had conflict. And they had to figure their way through it. And there must be something in what happened here for Luke to have recorded this for us, for us to learn from it and grow through it to take notice of. So let me just now throw at you 10 things. I'm going to do this fairly quickly. They're going to be in some cases quite brief. I'll expand on just a couple of others uh, to talk about conflict, helping us uh, to deal with conflict in the church. And here's the first one. Uh, I've already said this. Conflict is inevitable. It is going to happen at some stage, at some time, somewhere. The second point is this. Conflict will take all manner of shapes. It can appear out of nowhere. It can look like this. It can look like that. Uh, In fact, in churches, it's often around behaviour or worship or leadership style or the kind of morning tea that we have or the use of the carpet, uh, decision-making, programs, objectives, vision, theology. There's all sorts of places where conflict can erupt. And one of the observations that I've made over the years is this. Conflict in the church is often named as theological when in actual fact it's personal. And I don't like the theology of that worship leader when actual fact what we really should say is I don't actually like that person's style. It doesn't resonate with me. Or perhaps something happened 15 years ago and it still sits there in the background. Interpersonal conflict is often personal, not theological. Conflict can take all manner of shapes. Given that 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 is the case, one of the greatest calls that we have as Christians is to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Now, I want to emphasise that. That is a really significant statement and there's a big difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. The Bible actually says quite a bit about being peacemakers. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, for instance, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. In other words, blessed are those who deliberately go about the work of making peace, working to bring outcomes of resolution, working to bring resolution to conflict, working to bring peace, not just keeping the peace, not just sweeping the conflict under the carpet, but actually working in a deliberate, intentional manner to bring about uh, reunification or the unity of the church. And there are many other passages that echo this emphasis. So, for instance, Psalm 34, verse 14, which says, Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. In other words, go after it. Work hard for it. In Hebrews 12, verse 14, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness with, without which no one will see the Lord. Strive, it means put your energy into seeking peace. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Seek peace, strive peace, be eager to maintain peace. In each case, there's a sense of an activity, a work that's to be done in bringing about peace. And so in dealing with conflict, we're not just to be called Uh, We're not called just to be peacekeepers, we're called to be peacemakers. There's a big difference. The fourth point, in the the middle of uh, conflict, we are 
called to acknowledge uh, that there is disagreement but a firm love and acceptance at all times. In 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 8 Peter said, above all love each other deeply for love covers a multitude of sins. There's a real danger isn't there I think when conflict erupts to think well this might be the end of the relationship, I'll never be able to talk to that person again. Let me just tell you a story I may have shared here with you. I had a significant conflict over what was actually a theological issue with a dear brother in Christ at one stage in ministry and uh, it was something we just could not resolve. His view and my view we could not reconcile on a particular issue and we had some very interesting discussions. We had some quite uh, vigorous debate a sharp disagreement, in fact, if we were to couch it in the terms that we find here in the book of Acts. But let me tell you something really significant. Through that whole time, and even to this day, though we continue to disagree on this particular issue, and I've shared this with some people here in Wodonga, uh, that brother and I were able to maintain a good relationship and I tip my hat to him in that space because no matter how we disagreed, he determined that he would love me as a brother and I would love him as a brother and we were able to maintain love and acceptance of one another at all times. We were always able to pray together at the end. We were always able to talk about other issues of life at the end. We didn't allow that conflict to leak out into the rest of our relationship and we were able to affirm love and acceptance of one another at all times. One of the things that I say to marrying, uh, to couples that I'm working with when we're preparing for marriage is this, there will be conflict but there's one non-negotiable and that is that it ends your relationship. Divorce is not part of our language and so you need to work it through and you need to work it through in a context of love and acceptance. To do that you need to, and this is the fifth point, attend to the process of communication because understanding almost always lowers the temperature of conflict. Listening to the other person's point of view in an empathetic manner actually drains away some of the angst, some of the temperature out of the conflict. Attending to the process of communication helps deal with uh, the heat of conflict. The sixth point is this, practice carefrontation. You may not have heard of that word. It's an interesting kind of word, carefrontation. Uh, we're good at avoidance. We often run away from conflict. Well, some people do, some people don't. I still remember one of the young adults I was working with years ago in a young adults group. Uh, we were sitting chatting about something and, and I said to Steph, um, tell me about your um, approach to conflict. She was a school teacher. And she said, oh, I love a bit of argy-bargy. And I thought, what is wrong with you? You know, the average person runs away from conflict, but you just go diving headfirst in. Well, actually, what we're called to do in the space of conflict is to practice carefrontation. What does that look like? Well, there's actually a good example of carefrontation in Genesis chapter 13. That's a passage that describes the conflict that there was between Abram's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen. Both had become so numerous, uh, not the herdsmen, the, the herds had become so numerous that they were competing for the same 
pasture and probably uh, competing for the access to the same wells for water. And there was tensions raised between the herdsmen over this. And it could easily have turned into conflict. In fact, it was on the verge of conflict when Abram uh, practised some care frontation. What he did was take the initiative. He went to Lot and he said, let's work this out. Let's put the problem on the table. Let's isolate what the problem is and let's look at the solutions that are available and see if we can't find a win-win. Let's find a way forward that is acceptable to both of us. And the truth is that the most critical issue to be faced in conflict is often not just the issue at hand, but the words and the phrases and the angst that have been said in the heat of the conflict. Too often it's not issues of doctrine or belief that are hardest to resolve, though they may have contributed to the conflict. It can be the lack of love or the bitterness or the things that are said by Christians in the context of difference that cause this conflict to be so painful. And so care frontation is an important part of dealing with this issue. But when we do that very significantly, we need to be controlled by God's spirit in that space. So, for instance, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, Paul says, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. We go into those places to resolve conflict guided by the Holy Spirit, God's spirit. In Ephesians 5, verse 18, Paul exhorted the church to be filled with the spirit because being controlled by God's spirit means being able to act in a loving way. In fact, it means being able to act in an unnatural way, in a way that's not part of our normal human self. It means acting in a manner which is congruent with the life of God in us. It's acting in a manner which demonstrates the fruit of the spirit that's at work in us. Tied to that point is this point. Don't ignore conflict. Conflict rarely goes away when it is buried uh, under the carpet or somewhere else. What normally happens is it festers away and eventually those small issues become bigger issues. In Matthew chapter 18 verses 15 to 20, and I'll come to this passage in a moment, this passage which Jesus taught on how to approach the problem when you're sinned against is all about dealing with the issues before they become bigger issues. Tied to this point, keep conflict confined. Now I've seen and you've seen this happen too when there's conflict between two individuals. What often happens is one or perhaps both of them immediately say, oh gosh, you know, I've got this conflict thing happening. Uh, let me just get a few other people on my side and say, so I'll go and talk to my friend Fred and say, you know, I've involved in this conflict with Frank over here. What do you think? You know, this, isn't this terrible? And we actually try and build allegiances around us. And so the conflict, which was really initially just between two, suddenly becomes between four or six or more, or it spreads. And so often it spreads like wildfire. I've been guilty of doing this, and I think it is a strategy that we use to affirm and buttress our own position, because if these people agree with me, it makes me feel better about the position that I hold. But here's what Jesus said. 
Jesus said, if someone sins against you, sort it out between the two of you. If that doesn't work, and we have to acknowledge that there are times when that doesn't work, if that doesn't work, find a couple of other trusted people who are able to bring an objective view into that space. Jesus doesn't say, go and get some allies, go and get a team behind you, go and get an army so that you can just wipe out this other person. He actually says, get some others who are able to bring an objective view to this issue. If this fails, then you need to go further and involve perhaps the leaders, the eldership of the church. Sometimes, though, the less people involved in this conflict, the easier it is to resolve. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't ever resolve our conflict without mediation or without uh, involvement of others. Clearly there are times where couples need an impartial third person or when two people in in a conflict in their relationship need others to help them see the way through that. But there are times where we have to be honest and say, you know, me grabbing others into that space is actually about me, not about the conflict. It's about me feeling that I need to strengthen my position or I need outside support rather than the help that we actually need to resolve the conflict. And so here's the point. We need to check our motives before we engage others in the process. We need to check our motives before we start talking to others about an issue, whatever that issue might be. And there have been times, I have to tell you the honest truth, there are times where I've, I've told someone about something and, you know, what I'm really doing is either gossiping or I'm trying to make myself look good or I'm trying to find someone who will support my position or my point of view when in actual fact that's not necessarily that helpful. We need to check our motives. The ninth point, reduce emotional stress before dealing with conflict. I know when, uh, when I'm feeling wound up, I feel it in my body. The breathing starts to get tighter and the heart rate goes up and perspiration starts to appear uh, all over the place. Um, as a rule, I know that in those moments it's best to walk away or it's best to count to ten before saying anything or just take a big deep breath before responding. Uh, we need to make sure we reduce emotional stress. And finally, um, coming back to this passage from the book of Acts, there are times when it's appropriate just to say goodbye. There are times where the best resolution to the conflict is to say we're just not going to be able to resolve this and so we will go in different directions. Clearly in this passage, Paul and Barnabas could not find a way to reconcile their difference over whether John Mark came with them. It was such a sharp disagreement, verse 39, that they parted company. They said goodbye to one another. Was that according to the will of God? Well, we uh, don't know. It's a difficult question to answer. But you know what? Even though we might look at this as something of a failure in the life of the early church, God has a a remarkable ability to take even difficult circumstances like this and bear fruit for the kingdom. Because instead of one missionary team going out, suddenly two went out. The work of God, or at least the capacity for the work of God, was doubled as a consequence of this conflict. And here's one of the things. Uh, Satan's constantly trying to tear down the church. 
constantly trying to wedge divisions amongst his people. Let's talk about 2020, for instance. 2020 could have been Satan's greatest moment in terms of just upsetting the equilibrium of God's church and the work that we do because we have not met together as a congregation for over six months. And Satan would love to see that happen, but God's used this time and the opportunity provided for us to find new ways, fresh ways, unusual ways, perhaps more organic ways to be the church. And God is often at work in that way. God says in this place, yeah, that's okay. Now I'm going to do things in a different way. Now that's not an excuse for quarrelling or conflict or divisions or bitterness, uh, but in God's providence, in his goodness, he's able to use that disagreement. And if we come back to the scripture, history tells us as we read through the New Testament that Paul and Barnabas did not minister together again, but Paul certainly admired Barnabas's ongoing work. And history also tells us that Mark became close to Peter and in his later years, interestingly enough, um, Paul called for John Mark to be sent to him because he was most helpful. So Paul recognised that Barnabas had actually seen something in this young man that Paul had been unable to see. And in Paul's final hours, in his final uh, penning, his, almost his obituary, his last requests, he asked for five things. For Timothy to come soon, for Timothy to bring John Mark with him, for his cloak, his books and his parchments. And so even though there had been this significant disagreement in the course of time, there was some kind of reconciliation in this space. This disagreement had not been handled in a manner that was so destructive or so uh, toxic that it was unable to be resolved. And that's something that God longs for, for us, even in our situations of conflict, to leave the door open, to provide a way for potential reconciliation uh, into the future. Well, I trust that's been uh, a challenge perhaps for some, and an encouragement to others as we have reflected briefly there on that passage. Let's pray as we conclude this part of our service and uh, join together in speaking with the Lord. Gracious God, we want to thank you that you are the God who calls your people into relationship and into unity. And in that sense, that is very much a reflection of who you are. You have made us in your image. We are to live in relationship in the same manner that you live in relationship. And though in your relationship there is no conflict, no tension, in ours, because we are fallen humans, there will be and there has been and there perhaps is conflict. There is brokenness, there is angst. In some cases, there is bitterness and resentment. Even in amongst the body of Christ, the believers... And Lord, we are people who are sometimes taken by surprise by that. As we reflect on your word, we're ashamed by that. And we need to address that. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for the times when we ourselves, by our decisions, our words or our attitudes, have contributed to that conflict, where we have been slow to forgive where we have been reluctant to understand the other person's point of view, 
where we have become so entrenched in our own viewpoint that we've been unable to see an issue or a viewpoint other than our own. Gracious God, we pray in those places, help us to step back, help us to shine the light of your grace into those spaces, help us to recognise that we are not perfect in the same manner that no one else is perfect. Forgive us for those times where we've set the bar of expectations for others way above anything that we could achieve ourselves. We thank you, Lord, that you didn't treat us in the manner that we deserved and nor should we treat others in a manner that depreciates them. Lord, we thank you for this passage that highlights for us the reality of conflict, but we thank you too that you have given us principles scattered throughout your word to help us resolve those and bring about the unity of believers, not only in relationship, but in belief in those very core things of who we are. So gracious God, we pray today you'll help us to go forward, walking in concert with your spirit, uh, obedient to your will and gracious in everything that we think, do and say, for we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.